word of prayer. Father, thank you for your graciousness to allow your people to meet together. Thank you for the importance that your people meet together in praise, in worship, in study of you, Father. Lord, I pray for the next little while. Uh, please give me wisdom as I talk for a little bit. And just please, please be you. Please move in ways that I cannot fathom. So, continuing on in this summer's theme of great statements of faith, we're now at the end of the story where, where Christ says it is done. So, we'll be all the way about, what is it, five paragraphs away from the end of the Bible today. So, seeing how much trouble I can get into before we even get there, a quick... We'll call it a recap of what's happened so far in Revelation. So Revelation opens like most books with a quick intro from John. And then we actually start getting a bit of a flavor of the book of Revelation where John's initial, initial vision of Jesus happens. And moving on from there, he's given seven letters to give to the seven churches in the exact seven cities aren't that important at the moment, but in Asia Minor area. John's then given a vision of the Almighty and the Holy Spirit and the four heavenly creatures and the 24 elders surrounding them, and then sees a picture of a scroll. Well, sees a scroll in the hand of the Almighty, right hand of the Almighty. Sees a scroll somewhere important. That's the important part and starts crying because there's no one worthy to open the scroll until a lamb walks in looking like one who had been slain and goes and has the authority to start opening the seals and opens the seven seals, which brings out a lot of weird stuff, uh, quite possibly repeated, and I'm actually further ahead down here than I am up there. But anyway, brings out a lot of weird stuff, quite possibly repeated. Don't need to get into the details of all that core of revelations here. It's unimportant to the end. But a quick sample, uh, the lamb is going to break the first six seals on the scroll. You're going to see the 144,000 sealed, or more importantly, the 12 times the 12 times a ridiculously large number, countless multitudes, seven seal. Then we move into six trumpets getting blown. We're going to see the, another angel with another scroll, two witnesses, seventh trumpet, at which point praise breaks out in heaven and we get a peek into God's temple in heaven. So after that weird stuff, uh, there's a story of a woman and a dragon and a child, which it seems like most all Protestant translators understand to be talking about the woman being historic Israel the dragon being Satan, and the child being Jesus Christ. And then we move into more weird stuff involving the lamb again, another 144,000, and the harvest of the earth, whatever exactly harvest of the earth means in this instance, to move on to another set of seven angels with seven plagues being given seven bowls full of God's wrath. 
which ends with God's declaration that it is done as soon as that seventh bowl is poured out. And then we get into a little bit more weird stuff, but this time the weird stuff suddenly comes with explanation, explanation of itself. And then the last little bit before we start getting into what we'll be looking at today, celebration is breaking out, praise is breaking out throughout all of heaven. Uh, Babylon, quote unquote, has fallen. We're seeing the wedding, sup the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then Christ goes and leads an army into battle. And not going to say what the thousand years actually means here, but if you read it literally, Satan gets thrown into a pit for a thousand years, then something happens. <laughs> it's as accurate as I understand it to be. Something happens. After the thousand years, Satan is released. He raises an army and gets utterly annihilated again, and this time gets thrown into the lake of fire at Judgment Day. So, before we actually get to today's passage, would someone read Revelations 20, 11 through 15 for me, please? Thank you, Dave. So, Judgment Day, I'm going to start with John comes, sees a great white throne and him who is seated on it. So, as we probably all know, him who is seated on it is the Almighty. It is the Father himself. Which, going through Revelations, is a little interesting because we've seen the Almighty hovering around before. But he's always been kind of like seated above as an observer, watching over what's going to happen. This is the first time that he starts actually getting seemingly involved with what's going on. So the part that interests me the most in that passage, though, is from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. So... When we actually get to Revelation 21, we'll see that this is actually pretty literal. Reality is going away. Physical reality, earth, gone. Heavens, just gone. Just like the atoms just decide to not exist type of thing. It, it, it's, it, it just blows my mind that the heavens themselves are not can't exist in the realm of God. Which, what does that say about God? That, I mean, the heavens themselves can't exist. I mean, space is pretty darn awesome. I mean, 
that's a, supposed to be the horse head nebula. A little bit more light might have made that look a little better. Uh, you've got the hand of God nebula, etc. These are some of the most majestic things that as humans we can imagine. And they're so corrupt that they can't even exist. They have to flee away from God. And then there's just no place that can be found for them. Uh, however, before I get to the part where I was supposed to be showing those pictures, <laughs> uh, another quick thing to notice is the totality of the judgment. Things are done. It is over. If your name was not written in the book of life, you're in the lake of fire. So, with that, let's actually move on to today's passage. So, let's see. 21, 1 through 8, yes. Can I have a volunteer to read Revelation 21, 1 through 8, please? Thank you. So I'm going to start with verses 1 to 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So I want to start by asking the questions that I have up there about this passage. And I think I want to ask them as a group because I think their answers are interrelated. So, what are the answers to these questions? <laughs> Absolutely. I will be 
talking about that for sure. Dave? I'd actually argue that the cosmological constant goes infinite, but. So when we look at here, I would like to point out as prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. I think the ESV uses as a bride, NIV is like a bride. Uh, I would say it's not. There are certainly those who argue that New Jerusalem is supposed to be a symbol of the church itself and the bride of Christ. I would argue with those and say I think it makes more sense that New Jerusalem is heaven. For one, it's really the only real incarnation of heaven that you see. And if you go read past the end of today's passage, you're going to see that with New Jerusalem, all three parts of the Godhead come with it. So I would say that this is just an analogy where it's saying that New Jerusalem has been prepared with the same like loving care, the same tenderness, the same thoroughness that a bride would be prepared rather than actually saying that the New Jerusalem is coming in as a bride itself. So, when I look at this, I say step one, this is a visionary language. Uh, there was one commentator who put it something along the lines of to take any of this literally would be to do a great disservice to John as well as to corrupt the imagery of the book or something. Some commentator who put it better than I just did but I realize, as Rob said, this is a visionary experience of John. Not, probably there's nothing here that is a one-to-one -one correlation to what will actually happen. I, I would say the closest thing we have there is the heaven and the earth. So I think we're all pretty much in agreement here that earth probably actually means the earth, this planet that we're sitting on. Mm-hmm. All right. And then heaven, I would say, in this case, probably does just mean the rest of creation. 
there is certainly many people who, when reading this passage, will take that heaven to mean that realm in which God resides is also being replaced. Yeah, spiritual heaven. Uh, so I'm going to proceed from here on two parallel tracks because I don't know which one it is. So I have the comments for speculation of which either way. So why did they need to pass away? Earth needs to pass away because it's corrupt. I don't think there's anyone around here who thinks that this place is perfect, right? Now, when we think about the current existing heaven, that's a bigger question. Why might the current existing heaven need to pass away if it's a spiritual heaven? Why might it need to pass away if it's just space and the rest of creation? Yeah, I would agree completely.
it's, thank you for putting that better than I've been putting it. it I do not, actually. Thank you, Scott. Uh, I'm going to get back there, but honestly, I have my slides in an order, and what you just said is several slides down. <laughs> so, not exactly the same way. So, just due to the order that I put the slides in, uh, we're going to start by looking at what if, when John says heaven, it's supposed to return to refer to the actual outer space. Like I was saying before, space is pretty darn majestic. It is what I'd say just about the most, if not the most majestic thing, thing humans can conceive. Uh, I mean, Hanagod Nebula is just freaking awesome. Or also the Hanagod Nebula, but from a different perspective. I love how in this picture it looks kind of like the Hand of God Nebula is coming out to stop something dark from approaching. And the Eye of God Nebula, which I really, hmm? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I really wish there was a bit more light so you could get some more detail in here, but after this, uh, the lesson, we can come look at it on the screen if you really want to see. And then, once again, just space is freaking majestic. Oh, and then I just threw this one in here because it's actually the biggest, most detailed picture we've gotten out of the James Webb so far. But anyway, back to Ronnie's point. If we start looking at Job 15, 15, behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. All that space, all that majesty. I'm just going to come back to this point again because it blows my mind. It is not good enough to exist in the same world that God exists. Top. Actually, let me take it back a little bit. It is not good enough to exist when God's majesty is revealed. 
how good must God be if he is so great that they're just not majestic enough? See if you can wrap your mind around that one. See if you can wrap your mind around how great God must be if the heavens are not great, if space is not majestic enough to represent him. I'll be there in, I think, like two slides or three slides. All right. As far as why the current spiritual, I probably shouldn't use heaven because it sounds like that's confusing, but the current spiritual residing place of God, it is where the demons rebelled. It has, it is a place where Satan still has access to seemingly, or at least throughout significant parts of the Bible, is talked about having Satan having access to. It is still not good enough. So, where am I actually supposed to be in my notes at this point? All right, now we're actually up to the sea. All right, so reviewing the literature on verse one, it seems like to be a commentator on Revelations, you'd think there was a prereq that you have to be a surfer as everyone seems to point out that there's going to be no area to surf left if you take that uh, literally. For those commentators, I'd like to point out that there is still the river of life in New Jerusalem, and considering how screwed up we are, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a lot of flowing through that river, so I imagine you can get some pretty good waves going up there. Uh, <laughs> as for why the sea, if we think about, Dave? the same point, but maybe with a different flavor. If you think about what the sea represented, especially in the Old Testament, the sea was a place of danger, of destruction. Uh, it was everything that chafed and hurt. If you think about what did Jonah do when he wanted to get away from God and not have to go to Tarshish, Nineveh. The sea was often thought of maybe in depending on who you are, maybe as a place to get away from God, but as a place of uncontrolled chaos, effectively. So what God is saying is, yes, everything is being made new. And just in case you didn't get it, sea's going away as well. But when we break out that sea in particular, there's also this sense of 
we're also getting rid of all the things in creation that object to God, that tried to hide and run from God. There's the sense that just everything will be in line and in subject to God. Uh, Craig Coster writes in Revelations and the End of All Things, new creation is marked in part by an absence of powers that oppose God and diminish life. The demise of the harlot brought an end to a power that reduced the creation and its people to mere commodities that could be bought and sold to satisfy the self-indulgent tastes of the powerful. Defeat of Satan, the beast, and their allies eliminated powers that dominated the nations and impressed the faithful. Resurrection of all the dead brought an end, brought an end to death itself. Therefore, in the new creation, there is an absence of death, mourning, crying, and pain, for all those marks of the former fallen world have passed away, together with the sea from which the beast arose. At the same time, the new creation is characterized by the presence of the God who gives a life. The anguished cry, where is your God, will no longer be heard, for in quick succession, a voice from the throne declares that God's dwelling will be, within, will, will be with humankind, and he will dwell with him, and God himself will be with them. Instead of the toxic waters of judgment, God will invite them to drink freely from the spring of the water of life that flows from his throne. And basically, as another side note, seas also would separate people. People obviously live on land masses. Seas differentiate those. By getting rid of the sea, there's also a sense that you're getting rid of what separates people or in this case, people from their God. All right. So, fourth question up there, why is New Jerusalem coming out of heaven? Why are the people not heading up to New Jerusalem instead to meet God where he is? Ronnie. Yeah, certainly God needs to take action. But I'd also argue he could take the action of just lifting all the conquerors up. So, oop, there we go. So, thinking about this and thinking about some comments from Matt, I'm actually reminded of a line that gets clipped from a, spart from a starting speech given at a sporting event called World's Toughest Mudder. It's not like we invited you here. You demanded to be here. And think about that from God's perspective. This is not someone saying that, this is not God saying that at some point humanity should meet up with them and then not laying plans to do it. This is not him saying, okay, we should meet up from dinner. Here's the date and time. 
this isn't even being done with like the sincerity or intensity even of a mother looking after a sick child. This isn't even being done as someone who's merely moving heaven and earth to make things happen. God is literally redefining what heaven and earth here are. He's made a new heaven and a new earth to bring, at least in the vision, he's made a new heaven and a new earth to bring humanity into communion with him. And now he's bringing himself down as basically
over by the throne, so who's over by the throne? The other options are basically the four heavenly creatures who, if we were to go read like Revelations 1, we'd learn about and the 24 elders. And once again, if we go read, is that Revelations 1 or 5? 4 and 5? <laughs> Correct. It is singular. Uh, anyway, you see the P, those surrounding the throne. Uh, regarding if it could be the four living creatures, in theory it could be, but we have seen the four living creatures speak individually before, and usually it appears that when John sees, well, hears a voice for the second time, generally it's identified. In theory, it could be the four living creatures speaking in one, but they're supposed to always be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they'd have to take a break from doing that to be the one speaking here. Uh, similarly, with the 24 elders, we actually haven't heard them speak anything other than just general praises to God throughout. I can't imagine that any particularly one of the elders or same thing one of the living creatures would have been picked as the single, in, single being to utter this. And if it was all 24 elders, that would mean they'd have to take a break from their constantly bowing down and offering praise. And I forget what their phrase is, but they, did I write it down? No, I didn't. So that basically leaves what if in this vision it's the throne itself that's announcing all that's coming? What if it's the throne itself that is announcing that the dwelling place of God is with man, that he will dwell with them and they will be his people? I mean, imagine that. What if, if it's the throne, how awesome does God have to be that his throne literally announces that God is with his people? Mind blowing. All right, Ronnie.
it may seem simplistic, but I think it's the point. I've heard it said that Revelation is a very hard book to understand, but I think as long as you get that God wins, you understand it. All right, Ronnie, saw a hand coming from your direction. Nope. All right. Or maybe it was I was thinking, your previous comment, I think you were thinking about Revelation 6. We could turn there, but as opposed to what I thought would be ha what. I thought would happen where I'd be the anti-mat and I'd have to work to fill the rest of the time. <laughs> I, I actually only have nine minutes left and we're eh, three-eighths of the way through. <laughs> so. Uh, all right. That's what Mike just said. All right. So. This voice is saying that the former things have passed away. What are those former things? Uh, I think the thing of importance here is that the curse has passed away. Obviously, creation has passed away as well. That's worth noting. But the curse has passed away. There is no more pain. There's no need for pain. There's no purpose for it. The infinite wrath of God at this point has been satisfied and pulling out and poured out. Those whose name were not in the book of life have been put into the lake of fire, and that's where they are. Uh, doo -doo -doo. Right. Uh, an interesting point is that in the same sentence, as that is announced that there is no more pain, is announced that, ah, sorry, the same sentence that is announced that God will wipe away all their tears, it's also announced that there will be no more crying. Uh, there's an interpretation I heard regarding this that was going on is these are happy tears, basically, that God is wiping away, that they're tears of joy and relief and celebration because what else could be going on in heaven? Uh, I'd like to modify that thought a little bit and say what if these are basically, as, as New Jerusalem is coming down, what are the people who are watching this thinking? Or probably more accurately, what are they being overcome with? Reality as they know it is gone heaven and earth is gone. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Hmm? Glory. The idea of wiping away someone's tears is a very intimate imagery. What if this is just supposed to say that as New Jerusalem is coming down and God is coming and for each individual person he's addressing all their pains, all their hurts throughout their old life, etc. and welcoming them in. Yeah. Alright. Alright. Verses 5 to 6 
think what I'm actually going to do is just really breeze over the last half passage. Uh, verses 5 and 6, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without judgment. So we see that the Almighty begins to speak again, declaring what is going on. He has declared that he was the beginning. He made all creation. He made everything. And now it is done. He is the omega. He is the end. He has brought, around, brought about the end of creation and has ushered in a new heaven and a new earth. And then through the end of verse 8, we see him lay out who's going to get to enjoy this new Jerusalem and who's been thrown into the lake of fire. See that the overcomers, those whose name were written in the book of life, will be God's son, and that they will have the Almighty as their God, that they will be thirsty until given, well, that they will be given the water of life and all their thirsts will be quenched. And then we see those whose name are not written in the book of life and who have lived lives characterized by sin. So that is today's passage. Uh, any last comments before we end in prayer? That is something that I cannot address right at this speaking moment. It's too, it's too big of a thing, but it looks like Rob wants to take a kind of. but Ronnie's hand was up first.
try reading Revelation, there people really don't repent. <laughs> All right, David? That is a pretty fair question. I think as far as why he needs to actually speak it, probably specifically so that John had the words to write down so that we can read it. Uh, what's the power of him speaking it, I think, is a different story. At, at this point, presumably his audience is all saints ever. Everyone who was ever saved is hearing this. And they get to witness the authority with which God says, it is done. I, I have done this. Now, come join me. All right. 
close that. <laughs> Let's close in a little bit of prayer. Lord, thank you that you are Alpha and Omega. Thank you that you go forward to the end of creation and past it and then look back, well, send back the information to us and tell us to come join you, Lord. Lord, thank you that you are holy. Thank you for your majesty. Thank you for your greatness, Father. Lord, I pray that we just we just be able to get an image, a mere understanding of just the portion of it that might be humanly graspable, Father. And that that would just be enough to move us, Lord. In your name, amen.